Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. The word of the Lord reads this way. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, be, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Pastor and author Henry Blackaby once wrote, The Christian needs to walk in peace, so no matter what happens, they will be able to bear witness to a watching world. We are now in the sixth part of this series on the Beatitudes. We are nearing the end of this particular series. And in this series, we have been talking about what it means to truly be happy. What it means to be blessed, as Jesus says in this text here. And in the very first week, we opened up and we talked about the fact that every every one of us wants to be happy. We all want to be happy. Even those who seem to be perpetually unhappy really desire at some level to be happy. But what we discovered is this permanent happiness that we long for, this long-term happiness that we yearn for in our hearts is not found in the things that the world has to offer us. It's not found in money. Uh, It's not found in being a celebrity. It's not found in a job or a career. It's not found in a college degree. It's not found in your friendships. It's certainly not found in your hobbies. It's not even found in your children. It's not found in in winning. It's not found in popularity. I mean, these things do bring short-term happiness from time to time, but they're not the source of the long-term happiness that we crave. This kind of happiness that we're looking for, that we yearn deeply for, only comes from one source, and that is a relationship with God himself in his kingdom. And we hunger for that relationship. And Jesus promises us in this text, though, that those who follow him, who are in relationship with him, they can have this kind of happiness. And he calls this kind of happiness makarios, which is is the Greek word. It means happy or fortunate or well-off. It also means to be supremely blessed. And Jesus tells us that we, we can be happy like this. We can be supremely blessed like this. But this blessing is not going to come from the things that we normally look for to be happy. This kind of happiness is only found in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us a list of attitudes and perspectives about God that makes a person blessed. And as we talked about, this list of things that makes a person happy or blessed really seems at first blush counterintuitive. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, blessedness and happiness comes to those who exhibit attitudes of being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, being persecuted. 
and even being pure in heart. He says that blessedness, true happiness, actually comes from having the right heart attitude before God. It's about having the right perspective and attitude about God and about ourselves in light of who God is. In fact, in verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says this, that they're blessed. The people that are blessed are the ones who have this attitude that they're spiritually broken and bankrupt. That they understand that they are completely dependent upon God. And they're blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're given the kingdom of heaven, not because they deserve it, but because God is gracious and gives it to them. In verse 4, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Because this sorrow, this mourning leads to repentance. They're blessed because they are comforted. And their comfort comes from the knowledge that they are forgiven. Both I mean, all the way from their past, their present, and their future sins are all forgiven. Then Jesus says in verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, in a world where we are always encouraged to stand up for ourselves and fight back and stand up for our rights, this seems very counterintuitive to us. But what we discovered in this statement, Jesus isn't talking about Christians having to be weak. Jesus is saying that those who willingly set aside their power to restrain themselves in meekness for God's glory, those are the ones that are truly blessed. They're the ones that are truly happy because they will live in the peace that God has promised. And then in verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And what we discovered is that this this hunger and this thirst for righteousness is a God-given need, a God-given hunger. It's a God-given hunger to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to make peace. And the reason for that is that our life-saving relationship with God changes us and transforms us and instills in us a deep-seated need for these things. And then in verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And not only is being merciful being a part of, of righteousness, but being merciful is a natural outgrowth of a relationship with God. We become merciful because we live daily in the light of God's continuing mercy. And then in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And what we talked about is that Jesus, he didn't come here to modify your behavior. He didn't come here to change your behavior. He came here to change your heart. And the idea of being pure in heart isn't this idea that we won't ever make any mistakes or that we're going to be internally perfect. That's not what it's about. Rather, what it's about is having a heart focused on God, not divided, not diluted by the things of the world, but a heart that has a singular focus on God, a heart devoted to and depending upon God. Those those who are pure in heart, they will see God. That is our hope. And as we said, there's a pattern here to these Beatitudes. If you actually dig deep, you can actually see there's a recurring theme here. Being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart. Right? What we see in all these Beatitudes is that it's about living with a correct understanding and an attitude about God and a relationship to Him that causes us to change. We are poor in spirit. Because we have absolutely nothing to offer God to make him love us. We mourn for our sin because we understand that sin is destructive. And it gives, it gets us 
gets in the way of our relationship with God. We are meek because we want God to be glorified in how we live our lives, even when it's hard. We hunger and thirst for righteousness because we hunger and thirst for God Himself. We are merciful because not only is it good for us, but it glorifies God in our lives and it demonstrates that He's real and that, and that, that He is good We're pure in heart because God is to be the singular focus of our lives. And each of these statements, every one of them, they are focused centrally on God. Every statement is about God. Blessed are the poor in spirit because God is gracious. Blessed are those who mourn because he is holy. Blessed are the meek because he is to be glorified. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because he is righteousness. Blessed are the merciful because he's merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart because God is the supreme prize that all of our attention should be fixed on. And as we said, the reason why a person is blessed because each of these attitudes, Each of these beatitudes points toward and draws us closer to God. And more than that, these attitudes are actually the fruit of a life changed by the relationship with God. When a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they are moved from death to life. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in them and dwell in them. And when that happens, these attitudes begin to grow and begin to flower inside of our lives. And so being meek isn't something you do to be saved. Rather, it's something you become because you already are saved and the Spirit's working in you. Being merciful isn't something you do to get God's mercy. It's the natural outgrowth of of God working in you, of His mercy in your life. Each attitude or beatitude is a heartfelt perspective that God wants to grow out of us in our relationships with Him. And we're going to see this pattern continue in Um, the next beatitude, the next beatitude is verse nine. It says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. I want to read that one again. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying here. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. We opened up this series and we started talking about the fact that every one of us wants to be happy. And it is absolutely true. We do want to be happy. But as much as we want to be happy, we also want peace. We all want it on some level. Even those people who seem to thrive and continue to live in conflict, at some level in their hearts and their minds, they want peace. We all want and wish for the times where our minds and hearts are free from the conflicts and the drama and the controversies that surround us. We all desire that the the unresolved conflicts in our lives get settled at some point. We all want to be free from having to look over our shoulder. We all want not have, we don't want to have to worry about who's saying what behind our backs. We all want to live with, with the knowledge that the people that we know and maybe even trust are not secretly selling us down the river and plotting against us. We all want to live in peace. In fact, the past weekend, not this weekend, but the weekend before, there was a little bit of drama related to football that popped up. And there was a person that was irritated with me. They were mad at me. And so I took the time to talk to them and find out. I really wanted to make sure we could settle the issue. And uh, we talked and we found out what the issue was. And come to find out, it really wasn't an issue that something I was doing. It was something that somebody else was stirring up. Somebody was 
telling them things that weren't true, right? And so that was creating some, you know, some conflict there. And after digging a little while, I found out the source of the problem really wasn't someone that was on the periphery of my uh, of people I know. This was actually somebody I know pretty well. And it's actually somebody that I've that's been friendly to me and somebody I actually considered maybe even a friend, you know, and, and, and I would just love to live at a time when I'm not worrying about who my real friends are. I, just like you, desire peace. We all want it, right? We want peace in our minds. We want peace with our spouses. We want peace with our friends. We want peace with our children. We want peace. Children want peace with their parents, right? We want peace at work. We want peace at school and in our neighborhoods and our communities. We want peace in our country. I think most of us are really upset and lamenting the bitterness and the ugliness that we see around, you know, on television, on a national level, the, the sheer hatred and violence and the, the sheer ugliness, the, the incivility is absolutely breathtaking how people treat each other nowadays. It is just, I mean, it is mind-blowing to hear the things that people say nowadays and the way that they act and the way they behave, right? It's disconcerting because we really want peace. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is as much as we want peace, what are you doing to get peace? That's the heart of the question. What are you doing to get peace? Because the beatitude says, blessed, happy are the peacemakers. Not those who wish for peace. Not those who want peace. Not those who desire peace in their lifetime. No. Blessed, supremely happy are those who make peace. Those who go out and create peace where there's an absence of peace. That's what Jesus is saying here. Hoping for peace, wanting peace, praying for peace, desiring peace, talking about peace is not what brings blessedness, all right? Making peace is what brings blessedness and happiness. William MacDonald in his commentary points out, he says, notice that the Lord is not, does not speak about people with a peaceful disposition or those who love peace. He is referring to those who actively intervene to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who make peace, for they are the ones that shall be called sons of God. We all want peace. What are you doing to get it? Now, as we've talked about, each of these statements that we see here in the Beatitudes, if you just read them, there's a simple surface you know, explanation and a surface application. I mean, you can look at this and say, okay, go Make peace and be blessed. End of sermon, right? Go have lunch, right? And that would be true. That would be a way to apply this text. But each of these Beatitudes, as we've talked about, contains a deeper theological truth about the Christian life and how we are to live in light of who God is. That there's a deeper point that Jesus is driving at. A a deeper spiritual reality that we need to dig into. Now, the first thing that we need to do, though, is clear some things up. We need, in order for us to understand what Jesus is getting at here, we need to be clear about what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that you first have to be a peacemaker to become a child of God. You don't have to be a peacemaker to be saved. Be very clear about that. 
The text says that peacemakers will be called or identified as sons of God. But it does not say that the peacemaker is blessed because he becomes a child of God. There's an important distinction here. As we've said, these beatitudes are outgrowths of a relationship from God, not conditions for us to have a relationship with him. We don't become children of God because we're peacemakers. We become peacemakers because we are already sons of God. And we become sons of God, not because we actively do things to cause God to accept us and get, and, and get his approval. We become children of God only one way, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. John says in John 1, 9, 12, we, he says, the truth, the true light, which gives light to Everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But, listen, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We become children of God through faith in Christ. And again, Paul echoes this statement. He says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. It is by faith that we are saved. It is by faith that we are made part of God's family. It is by faith that we are made sons and children of God. It is not our peacemaking ability that makes us children of God. Being a peacemaker comes after we become children. We become a peacemaker, right? It's an outworking of the fact that we are children of God. In fact, John Piper says it this way. He goes, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, 9 is that people who, who, who have become sons of God have the character of their heavenly father. They become chips off the old block, so to speak. We inherit from our heavenly father his nature, that's what, God, that's what he's saying here. Well, what is God's nature? God's nature is peace. He is a God of peace. Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13.20 Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. God is the God of peace. God is the great peacemaker. In fact, when the world descended into sin, God did not declare war on the world. He did not destroy completely his creation. No. He went to work to make peace. He went to work to make things right. He went to work to put in motion a plan of redemption. And he did so so that we could finally have peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were the ones who were rebelling against God. We were the ones who were fighting against God. We were the ones who deserved his wrath and his justice. We're the ones who should have been crushed and slaughtered for our rebellion against him. But God is a God of peace. He's a peacemaker. 
He loves us so much and he desires to have peace with us so much. In fact, he crushed not us, but he crushed his own son to get it. You understand that God sent Jesus to suffer and die on the cross so he could offer his enemies peace. Because God is a peacemaker. And being his children and being his image bearers, we too should become peacemakers. Because we now have a new nature. We were once rebels and revilers and wrathful and bitter and hateful. Our old self and our old identity was crucified with Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ, we become a new creation. We become children of God with a new nature. God's nature. In Christ, we become merciful because God is merciful. In Christ, we hunger and thirst for righteousness because God is righteous. In Christ, we become mournful over sin because God is holy. In Christ, we become peacemakers because God himself is a peacemaker. And what Jesus is saying here is blessed are the peacemakers because they shall be recognized for what they are. Children reborn into the image of Christ our King. That's what Jesus is is getting at here. So what does it mean then to be a peacemaker? Well, I believe that Jesus defines that for us in the very same sermon. It's in the same chapter, beginning in verse 43. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. He connects the dots. And goes on to say, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So in in part of this text, we see Jesus connecting the dots for us. He does so by telling us, on the one hand, that being a son of God or a child of God is to be a peacemaker. And on the other hand, he says, being a son of God or being a child of God is to love your enemies and to do good to, to, to those who persecute you. You see the connection here. Jesus uses this picture of being a son of God or a child of God to help us to draw this very clear conclusion. And the conclusion is that being a peacemaker means you need to find a way to make peace with those that you don't have peace with right now. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. Being a peacemaker is is to be someone who creates peace where there is none. Like God did. That's what being... that's, that's, That's what being a peacemaker is. There was no peace between us and God. There was just enmity between us. We were his enemies, but then God went to work to make peace. Well, how did he make peace? Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God made peace with us, even though we were helpless through love and through sacrifice. God made peace with us by loving us 
And because he loved us, he sacrificed for us. That's how peace gets made. That's how we are to make peace with other people. John Piper notes that peacemaking is all the acts of love which you try to remove enmity between you and other people. He says, peacemaking is the sum of all the ways you use love to remove walls and barriers between you and other people. Which is exactly what God did for us. It was, it, it was his love for us. In his love for us, he removed the enormous barrier of our sin between us and him. For God so loved the world. Rings the, the most famous verse. For God so loved the world that he did what in love people do, he gave. Because when you're in love, you give. If you're a parent, you know that. If you're a spouse, you know that. If there's somebody who's sweet on your heart, you know that. For God so loved the world, he did what in love people do, he gave. And what he gave was most precious to him. He gave his only son, who then in turn gave his very life for those that God loved. God gave and paid dearly in love so that the veil between God and man could be removed. He gave so that, that we, could, we could now come boldly before the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. God, in his sacrificial acts of love, removed the barrier so that we are not just simply justified before him, but as Paul in Romans reminds us, we are we have been reconciled to God, reconciled, not just made clean, but we now are brought into a relationship with God. That's what it means to make peace. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. We love and we sacrifice in an effort to make peace where there is none. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. And this last part of chapter five gives us some very practical ways that we can actually live this out. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. You see, at the heart of peacemaking is love. That's why God made peace with us. That's why we ought to make peace with others. It is out of love. But how do we practically love our enemies in an effort to make peace? Well, I believe that uh, Jesus gives the answer in this very text. In fact, I think the first step to loving our enemies and working toward peace is to pray for those who persecute you. That's what it says here. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. The first step to loving your enemies is to pray for your enemies. Pray for the ones who you're at odds with. Pray for the ones who are mean to you, who are persecuting you, who have it out for you. Now, believe me, I understand this is hard. Because when someone causes me pain, when someone creates unwanted drama in my life, praying for them is not the first thing that comes to my mind. Maybe confronting them. Maybe complaining to my wife about them. Right? Maybe just passively, aggressively making some vague, veiled comments about them on Facebook that may or may not be about them. Right? Right? But praying for them is not the first reaction I have. 
But there it is. Jesus says very clearly and very straight to the point. Pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those that you're not at peace with. Step one. You might think, well, okay, that's cool. I can do that. I mean, I guess. That's what it says, but how? I mean, do I need to pray that like we're best friends or something? I mean, how do I? Well, Jesus actually kind of gives us, you know, something to work off of um, in the very next chapter uh, when he says, pray like this. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now understand that there, this is a general way to pray. But think about this. Our Father who's in heaven, let your name be hallowed. Let your name be venerated and lifted up by me and also by my enemy. Your kingdom has come. Let me live in your kingdom in a way that's pleasing to you and let also my enemy live in a way that's pleasing to you. And let not... I mean, and let your will be done, Lord, on earth. And that means let your will be done in my life and let your will be done in my enemy's life like your, your will is done in heaven. So, Lord, I'm asking you to intervene here. Lord, it is your will that I'm a peacemaker. It is your will that I live in peace with other people. So, Lord, I ask that you help me to walk and live in a way that fosters and grows that peace between me and this person that I'm at odds with. Let your voice be heard by both of us. Let us both revere your name. Let us both become brothers or sisters in the kingdom. And let your will be done in both of our lives. And I promise you, if that happens, you will live in peace. You see, it's not complicated. We don't need to pray, Lord, help me to be best friends. Lord, should I take him out to dinner? You just need to pray that God would intervene and help you to make peace. It's not complicated. We just need to do it. We need to be peacemakers. And to do that, we need to pray for those that we're not at peace with. That's the first step. And then Jesus says, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And I think Jesus is driving here. What he's getting at here is, is we need to be good to those that we are not at peace with. We need to be good to them like we are good to those that we care about. In fact, in Luke's version of this Sermon on the Mount, he records Jesus is saying this in Luke chapter 6, 27 and 28. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Do good to those who hate you. You see, it's really easy to do good and be good to people who are good to us back. It's really easy to love those that are lovable. Right? It's, it's easy to love people who love you back. It's easy to be considerate and thoughtful and compassionate. It's easy to look out for them and watch out for their safety and their welfare. What about that person who always seems to be talking behind your back? What about that person who always seems to be sabotaging you at work or at school or with your friendships? What about that person who, who won't take responsibility for that stinking mess that keeps affecting your life? You need to do good to them, not just passively, but actively. You need to be good to them. You need to be kind to them. You need to look out for them. Be considerate. Don't withhold justice from them. Be fair to them. Don't allow someone else to wrong them. Do good to them. Why? 
Because God, whose image you bear, is good to them. Again, Jesus says, For God makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. God is good even to those who hate his guts. God is gracious to them. He gives them life. He gives them the gift of love. He gives them the gift of relationships. He gives them the warmth of the sun. He gives them the comfort of a good night's sleep. God is good to his enemies. And because of that, and because we are brand new in his image, we should also be. But how? How do we be good to those who hate us? Well, I think we know lots of ways we could do that. Right? I mean, there are lots of ways to be good to people who are hurtful. But I think there's, there's, there's a couple of foundational things that would include refusing to gossip about them. Which is hard, right? Because when someone's hurtful to you, when someone's mean to you, what do you want to do? You want to go tell everybody, right? And I'm not just talking about venting to your spouse. I'm not talking about just, you know, venting to, you know, someone that's a mentor or like a parent, right? I'm talking about that overwhelming desire to complain to everyone and put it out on Facebook and let everybody know to anybody who would listen to you about what a jerk this person is and how you were mistreated. You know what I'm talking about. Someone does somebody wrong in our community and everybody knows it in like 10 minutes, right? Why? Because you're telling everybody. Gossiping is not doing good to those who hate you. It's your passive-aggressive way to kind of get back at them. And it's counterproductive. It certainly doesn't help to promote or create peace. Another foundational thing to do to make peace and to do good to others is found in what Jesus says in verse 47. He says, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than, than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You see, when people hurt us and they upset us, what is our tendency? We tend to, to ignore them publicly, right? We, we, we just look past them like they're not even there. We walk without even like acknowledging them. We shine them on. We act like we don't even notice that they're there. Now, some people are a little bit more aggressive and they stare down at each other. But, the, 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 but, the, but for the most part, people don't interact at all. And in this small town, it's pretty noticeable. You kind of know who doesn't like each other and who's got it out for each other. I mean, these people have grown up together. They've been in the same community, went to the same high school for years and years and years and years. But they'll go somewhere, whether it's a function or a store, and they'll just like simply just ignore each other like they don't even exist. But Jesus calls us out on that. He says, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do that? Or in other words, you're publicly polite to all those you like and those that you're close to. But how does that make you special? It doesn't make you special. Because everybody does that. Right? But remember, you are not everybody. You are a child of God. You're the son of a king. You're dead to your trespasses. God has sacrificed his son to purchase you and to pardon you so he can have peace with you. You have been raised from death to life. You've been created brand new. You've been given a new life, a new hope, a new reason to live and to do all the things you do. It's just not good enough for you to be like everybody else. It's time to live in this radical newness 
This time to live out the beatitudes in our lives. It's time to stop being petty and so vindictive and so just like the rest of the world and simply just take a step and go out and greet someone who is not your friend. Don't act like the rest of the world. That's what he's saying. Act like me. What does that mean? What that means is when you run into someone who's wronged, you make a point to acknowledge them. Say good morning. Say hello. Ask about their family. Because I promise you they have a struggle that you can identify with. Break the ice. You are a child of God. You are a peacemaker by your spiritual DNA. Not someone who wishes for peace, but a person who actively goes out and makes peace. A person who actively goes out and extends the olive branch. And that begins with a very basic being courteous and polite to people that we encounter like this. As a peacemaker, we need to love our enemies because God loved us when we were his enemies. We need to pray for those who wrong us. Jesus on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We need to be good actively to those who mistreat us and malign us. And we need to be visibly gracious to them and greet them as we would those that we love. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. That's what it means to be a child of God. It means setting aside our own agenda for God's agenda. Because God's agenda is about making peace. Just look at the cross. We must willingly pursue peace with all our hearts. Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now with that, our obligation is to do what we can do to foster peace. But we must understand that peace doesn't always We can love our enemies. We can pray for those who mistreat us. We can be good to those who abuse us. And we can, we can greet them like friends, but sometimes it isn't enough. Peace doesn't always come. Does that mean we failed as the children of God? Absolutely not. The Bible tells us that it, that it, that it isn't always about what we can do. In fact, Paul encourages us in this. He says, bless those who persecute you. Sounds familiar, right? Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then here, he, then, then he gets to the point and says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And in this text, Paul exhorts us to live honorable lives as children of God. He exhorts us to be humble and bless others. And, 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 and he also exhorts us not to be arrogant or to repay wrongdoing with wrongdoing. Right? And in other words, he wants us to live in harmony with everyone else around us. But then he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If it is possible. Because the fact of the matter is, is peace isn't always possible. The person at work who is out to get you simply hates your guts for reasons you may never understand. Or the person you think, who, who thinks that you're their number one enemy, 
can't let go of their bitterness towards you because if they do, they have to admit they're wrong. Peace may not always be possible. But the most important phrase is where Paul says, so far as it depends on you. That is where your responsibility is. We are responsible for, for our actions. We are not responsible for the actions of others. We are not responsible for how people react to our peacemaking efforts. We are not responsible for how people receive our loving efforts to settle things. We are only responsible for the things that we do, what depends on us. And what depends on us as children of God, as peacemakers, as we pray for our enemies, are we, that we do good to them when the opportunity presents itself. That we are not gossiping about them. That we're making sure to serve their interests. And that we greet them and treat them publicly with civility and respect. If we do those things, we're doing everything that depends upon us. And if we're doing those things, we honor God with what we have done. We just need to trust that God will work things out. And understand that God works for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God works everything out, even people's refusal to make peace with us for his glory and our good. We just need to walk in the peacemaking efforts God has given us and trust him with the results. Now in that, children as children of God, we are to pursue peace to the best of our abilities. We need to make this a high priority in our lives. But I want you to understand our peacemaking efforts must, must never involve compromising the truth. Because the fact of the matter is there will be people in your life who are your enemies and who will be upset with you because of the truth. For example, in our culture around us, there's tremendous pressure on the church and on Christians to soften up on certain doctrinal positions in order to promote peace. The church is encouraged to let go of its exclusive claim on salvation through Christ Jesus in order to allow for the position that all religions somehow lead to God. This is promoted in order to promote peace. The church is also encouraged not only to respect other people's opinions about these things and their beliefs, but to accept them and to validate them as, as their own truth. The church is being encouraged and pressured to redefine its understanding of creation, its understanding of the nature of sin, its understanding of the nature of salvation itself in order to simply not just love the homosexual community or transgender community, but to embrace those lifestyles as legitimate and God-honoring, all in the name of peace. In fact, if you're a Christian who refuses to acknowledge those things, and you embrace the truth, you are labeled as someone who is not loving but hateful. You are labeled as a bigot. You are the opposite in their eyes of a peacemaker. But here's what we need to remember. The words of Jesus Christ, who said, blessed are the peacemaker, he also said in the same book, in the same context, do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and the daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of their, his own household. Or in other words, so much as it depends on you, you must love peace and work for peace. You must pray for peace 
and pray for your enemies and do good to them and greet them and, and tear down the barriers to the best of your ability that's between you and them. But you must never, ever, ever, ever compromise the truth. You must never abandon your allegiance to Christ. You must never abandon your allegiance to His Word. No matter how much animosity it brings down on your head. You are not guilty. You are not in the wrong if your life of obedience and your message of love and truth causes people to hate you. You're still a child of God if your loving stance for the truth elicits hostility in some and affirmation from others. In fact, in order, the order that Jesus puts these Beatitudes is telling. He says, blessed are the pure in heart first. And then he says, blessed are the peacemakers. You see, purity is above peace. Holiness is above peace. We must never compromise the truth. Peace must never, ever come at the expense of the truth. Now, on the flip side of this, we need to understand that just because a person standing on the truth doesn't mean that they're making peace. Because we know plenty of people who can stand on the truth and be a jerk about it. Right? Because there's a way that a person can stand on the truth that doesn't promote peace at all. And we've seen it in our lives. We've seen it in the church. People absolutely speak the truth, but they do it in a way that's abusive and abrasive and hurtful, and it's the opposite of making peace. We need to speak the truth in love. And we need to be as Jesus was, full, full of grace and truth. Now, what do we do with this? Well, if you're someone who's in a relationship with Christ, if you're a child of God, I want you to hear me. You need to make peace. You need to make peace with those that you don't have peace with. That's the simple truth. That's what we're exhorted to do. That's what we're called to do here. That is God's will for your life. That is God's plan for your life. That is God's command for your life. Go and make peace. Now, you might say, well, I don't know. Well, yes, you do. We just talked about it. Pray for your enemies. Be good to them. Don't gossip about them. And then when you see them, respect them. That's how you make peace. Hard, I know. That's what we're called to. Now, if you don't have a relationship with God, then this is really irrelevant to you until you make peace with Him. Because making peace with the world without making peace with God ultimately is a moot point. But if you've not done that yet, then come see me afterwards. Or you can come see me at my office during the week. Or you can fill up one of those little information request cards and put on there, I just want to make peace with God. And then I'll call you and we'll talk about it. And we'll help you with that. And then we'll help you then to become a child of God and become a peacemaker as well. Church, we need to walk in this. Believe me, I'm just as convicted as you are. But this needs to be something that's a high priority for us. These Beatitudes are not simply just because Jesus wanted to give us pithy little statements to live by. Jesus gave these statements because living in the kingdom of heaven should bring into us radical life change. 
Peacemaking is a radical life change. But, as he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Let me pray for you. Lord God, work this into my heart. Press it in. Help me to walk in it. Let me not be hypocritical. Let me practice what I preach. I certainly desire peace, but sometimes I do struggle with those that I'm not at peace with. Sometimes it's just easier, Lord, to just ignore them. It's easier to ignore the problem. It's easy to pretend like it doesn't even exist. And then when you see them at Family Dollar, just to walk down a different aisle. But Lord, I just want you to I just want you to change me in this. That no matter where I go, that the light of Christ is going before me because I am willing to make peace wherever I go. Because you made peace with me, a big jerk like me. And so, Father, I just pray that I would walk in that. And I pray this church would walk in that. And that, Father, we would go out and we'd be a light that shines. Not this little bitty flickering little candle, but a, but a bright light, a beacon of hope. That we'd go out and we'd share the hope of Christ with our community, with our friends, with our neighbors. That we would see a revival in this community that would just transform Boron completely. And would fill up all the churches to overflowing, Lord. We'd have to build more, Lord. And people would get saved. And relationships would get healed. And people would make peace. We thank you for that. And I pray for those who are here. I pray for those who aren't here. And I pray that you're glorified in all of our lives. We love you. And we praise you. It's in Christ's name. for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.